My name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to Lakeview Church. I would like to go ahead and dismiss the kids up through fifth grade. And if you haven't started sixth grade yet, um, you're welcome to go on down too. Uh, So they'll be going down to Lakeview Kids. And uh, while they're doing that, I have a couple of announcements for you parents and volunteers who serve in nursery or pre-K or elementary or middle school or high school. So if you're a parent of a child from birth through high school graduation or you're a volunteer that serves in any of the ministries uh, for our kids, we have a lunch after this service today. Um, even it will probably have enough pizza, so even if you didn't register, feel free to come on down, grab a slice of pizza. Uh, you can register your kids for fall programming, and we'll be talking a little bit about uh, youth and children's ministries as we're kicking off this fall. And so speaking of the fall kickoff, ha- uh, middle school and high school youth group for students age grades 6 through 12 starts on Wednesday, September 15th. Uh, at 6.30 p.m. So, yeah, we're excited about that. Um, so if you have the kids of that age, if you have grandkids of that age, nieces, nephews, uh, or friends, um, bring them. And, uh, and that's Wednesday. Okay, and then um, also kicking off this September, uh, September 12th, which is two Sundays from now, in the evening we'll have Gospel Community Night. So we do Gospel Community Prayer Sundays. Um, we've been doing those for about a year. We'll be doing Gospel Community Nights once a month this fall. Uh, we're going to watch season one of The Chosen. So uh, Sunday the 12th, we'll have episode one. It's at 5.30 p.m. Um, I will say, parents, this very first episode, the opening scene with Mary Magdalene, who's demon-possessed, and then Jesus casts a demon out of her, that opening scene is a little intense for kids under, like, 10. Um, but it's a really short little scene, and then the rest of the episode and the rest of the season is great. It's fine. There's nothing too intense for kids. But this that one little... Uh, demon possession scene um, is a little intense. Uh, so I'll give a disclaimer for that. I think that's all of the announcements that I have. Uh, if you'll grab your Bible and find Ecclesiastes, we are jumping back into our series. Uh, and I want to say thank you to uh, Carson Hoffman for uh, her beautiful hand-drawn artwork for our series this summer. Um, it's been really great. So thanks, Carson. Um, By the way, kids, if you ever want to draw artwork for our series, just talk to me. I'll let you know what series we have coming up because I'd love to uh, let you contribute your talents that way. Um, so we're going to be jumping back into Ecclesiastes. We'll be picking it up in chapter 9, verse 13. So while you're finding that, let me just set up the series, and I'll have Barb come up and read the passage for us, and we'll dig into it. When I was studying for this passage this week, I came across this really powerful quote from a New Testament scholar named Ian Provon, and he wrote this 20 years ago in 2001. So here's what he said uh, in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He said, we live in a world where information is widely privileged over wisdom. It is a world in which no one ever thinks to ask whether 24-hour news channels are a good thing. A world in which information technology is a more important college class than philosophy. A world in which, have you heard the latest, is a more pressing question than, do you know the truth? And then he goes on to say, the truth is that we have never known so much and understood so little. He wrote that 20 years ago, and I think it's only more true now than it was back in 2001. We've never uh, known so much 
and understood so little. We have the entire knowledge of the last several thousand years of human history available in a moment on a device that fits in our pocket. Yet we struggle as a people to answer even the most basic fundamental questions of reality and life. We've never known so much, but we've understood so little. We don't lack information. We, what we lack is wisdom. See, information is not the same thing as wisdom. Knowledge is not the same thing as wisdom. Even education, as important as that is, is not the same thing as wisdom. Arthur C. Clarke said, an intellectual is somebody who's been educated beyond his intelligence, <laughs> right? Education, knowledge, uh, these things are not the same thing as wisdom. And we don't lack them. What we lack is wisdom. In our society, we, we elevate status and power and position and popularity and how high your vertical is and, and how good you are at throwing a ball through a metal hoop 10 feet in the air. And we say, oh, if you're really good at those things, then we'll give you a platform and you can share all your wisdom in life with us and we'll listen to you. Right? So we don't, we don't lack information, we don't lack knowledge, we don't lack education or talent or ability, we don't lack wealth or privilege or power. What we lack in our world today is wisdom. And the question for us this morning is what happens when a society has more information than it knows what to do with and yet lacks wisdom? That's what Solomon's getting at in this passage. When a people have an abundance of knowledge and yet a shortage of understanding. And, and Solomon talks about that in this passage and the principles that he has, they, they're not just for a society, they're really for any group of people, whether they're formally organized or informally a, a people group or a friend group. It, you, you could apply these principles to a nation, to a state, to a county. You could apply them to an organization or to a business or to a church or to a school or to a family, right? Any group of people to a, a group of friends living in the dorm on campus or to a group of kids playing on the playground at recess, any group of people, what happens when that group of people has all the information in the world but yet lacks wisdom? That's what we're going to see and so I'm going to have Barb come up. And she's going to read our scripture passage, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 13 through 10, 20. I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. The word of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench, 
so a little folly outweighs the wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich sit in a low place. I have seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the grounds like slaves. He who digs a pit will fall into it, and a serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. He who quarries stones is hurt by them, and he who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. The words of the wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Beginning, the beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. Woe to you, O land, when your ruler Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom curse the rich, for a bird of the air will carry your voice, and some winged creature tell the matter. Thank you, Barb. This is uh, a challenging message, and um, my heart has been heavy this week. There's been a lot of stuff going on uh, just in the world in general, and then this passage has really challenged me. And so I wonder if you would join me in a word of prayer as we uh, ask the Lord to open our hearts to receive this word from him. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the wisdom that you have preserved uh, for us in scripture and passages like this that are so relevant to our world today. And uh, there are so many evil and horrible things happening in the world. And there's so much folly and foolishness uh, around the world. Um, and I just think about our brothers and sisters in Christ and, and really all the people of Haiti uh, who are suffering and struggling after their, their president was assassinated and tropical storms and hurricanes and, and then earthquakes and gang violence and uh, I just can't even imagine what they're experiencing and I would ask that you would be with them this morning and, and also our brothers and sisters in Christ in Afghanistan and in other countries around the world uh, who are facing persecution today. 
And I pray that you would be with them, that you would protect them, and that your message of hope would go through them. As the great quote from uh, church history, uh, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. I pray that we would see the reality of that in our own time. And I think about the men and women who uh, were killed in Afghanistan this week, and my heart goes out to their families. Lord, I pray that you would be with the families of Lance Corporal David Espinoza, Sergeant Nicole Gee, Staff Sergeant Darren Hoover, Staff Sergeant Ryan Naus, Corporal Hunter Lopez, Lance Corporal Riley McCollum, Lance Corporal Dennis Marola, Lance Corporal Kareem Nakui, Corporal Deegan Tyler Page, Sergeant Johanny Rosario, Corporal Umberto Sanchez, Lance Corporal Jared Schmitz, and Navy Corpsman Max Soviak. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them and that with their families. Many of these men and women are closer in age to my own children than they are to me. Um, And it's just really heavy on my heart. We just ask your peace would be given to their families uh, in this time of grief. And that you would speak to us in your word with how we can respond with love that you would keep me from saying anything foolish because nobody here or watching online needs to hear any wisdom or opinions that I have. We need your word and your wisdom. So speak to us in Jesus' name, amen. Let's get into our passage today. The question is, what happens when a society has more information than it knows what to do with and yet lacks wisdom? And Solomon answers that question by comparing a society without wisdom to a foolish man. He he uses a foolish man as an illustration of what a society without wisdom is like. And, And he says, the big idea is a society without wisdom is like a foolish man who doesn't know who he is, who doesn't know what he's doing, and who doesn't know where he's going. A people without wisdom, a people who lack understanding, can't see themselves for who they really are. They have no idea what to do next and they wander aimlessly through life without direction because they don't know the way. And he uses this illustration of a foolish man to kind of compare a society without wisdom. And so we're going to walk through Solomon's illustration of a a foolish man who doesn't know who he is, what he's doing or where he's going and then we'll talk about our response to that. And so uh, we'll start here with in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, and the first, the first thing that Solomon says is, a foolish man doesn't know who he is. A society without wisdom cannot see itself for who and what it is. If you look in chapter 10, verse 5, it says, there's an evil that I have seen under the sun, as it were an error proceeding from the ruler. Folly is set in many high places, and the rich, in other words, the rich in wisdom, sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses and princes walking on the ground like slaves. Uh, see, the fool doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's wise because he sits in a high place and rides a horse. But Solomon says, no, I've seen fools sitting in high places while those who are rich in wisdom are rejected. I've seen honorable, noble people who are like princes treated like slaves while dishonorable fools are given the horse to ride into town. A foolish man doesn't know who he is. He thinks because he has status 
and wealth and power that he's wise and that gives him a platform. Even though he knows nothing, he thinks he knows everything. He likes to hear himself talk and so he's never short on opinions and sharing them. See chapter 10 verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor but the lips of a fool consume him. The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness and the end of his talk is evil madness. A fool multiplies his words though no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. He has no idea what he's talking about, but he thinks because I ride a horse and I'm in a position of power and everybody knows my name, that I have a right to share my opinion about everything, even though I don't even have any idea what I'm talking about. He never shuts up, right? He doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's wise, but really he's a fool. He thinks he's God's gift to the world. He thinks, boy, this society is lucky to have me in a place of leadership. But he doesn't realize that he's actually just nothing but a fool. He doesn't know who he really is. Solomon does, and he shows us that in chapter 9, verse 17. He says, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The, the, the foolish man doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's wise, but he doesn't realize that he's nothing but a ruler shouting among fools. He's a sinner who destroys much good. He's like a dead fly found in the perfume bottle, and nobody wants to use the perfume because it's got a dead fly in it. He ruins the whole bottle because he doesn't know who he is. And a society without wisdom is an arrogant society. It can't see its own flaws or acknowledge its own mistakes. A society without wisdom doesn't know its own identity. And people who lack wisdom don't take responsibility for their own actions. They can't realize who they are and what they've done. It's always somebody else's fault. My dad never told me he loved me. I was spanked as a child. I had strict rules. I grew up in a bad area of town. This happened, this happened, this happened. I lost my job. It's always somebody else's fault. It can't ever be my fault because I am refusing to acknowledge who I actually am, a sinner who needs a savior, right? A fool doesn't know his identity. He thinks he's wise, but he's not. And a society without wisdom doesn't understand who they really are. They can't see themselves for who they really are. But Jesus does show us who we really are. Titus chapter three, verse three, the apostle Paul wrote these words, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing and regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In Christ, we understand exactly who we are. We are sinners who were saved to become heirs of eternal life. That's who we are. We, we see that in Christ a society without wisdom doesn't know its own identity, but in Christ we find exactly who we are 
We are children of God who have been saved by grace, filled with the Holy Spirit, and given an eternal inheritance, inheritance that is the entire kingdom of God in, uh, uh, in Christ. We have our identity. Second thing that Solomon says about a foolish man is not only does he not know who he is, but he doesn't know what he's doing. A society without wisdom has no idea what to do next. And, and there's a lot in this passage where Solomon shows the, uh, that a foolish man doesn't really understand what he's doing. And I've kind of grouped him into three categories. Uh, he is ignorant, he is incompetent, and he is impatient. And we'll see that. First of all, the foolish man doesn't know what he's doing because he's ignorant. He doesn't recognize true wisdom. Look in chapter 9, verse 13. I've, I've also seen this example of wisdom under the sun, and it seemed great to me. There was a little city with few men in it, and a great king came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor, wise man, and he, by his wisdom, delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are not heard. A foolish man rejects the poor man's wisdom because the man is poor. If that poor man had been a wealthy man, he would have been honored. He would have been celebrated. His, his deeds would have been recorded in history and talked about for generations to come. But because he was a poor man, he was rejected. His wisdom was despised, even though by his wisdom he saved the city. A society that lacks wisdom is a society that doesn't understand true wisdom. We, we say, well, well, you don't dress the right, right way. You're not, you don't have a, the right position. You don't have enough Instagram followers. You don't have, you, you're too old or you're too young. Therefore, you have no wisdom to offer. I remember when I was 29 turning 30, uh, like last week, <laughs> maybe a few years ago. I remember thinking, tomorrow when I turn 30, I'm not going to be able to trust myself anymore. You can't trust anyone over 30, Right? And now that I'm 39 and I'll be 40 next year, I look back and I, uh, just the other day I thought, gee, how can I trust anyone under 30? <laughs> I shouldn't reject anyone, whether they're older or younger, right? Wisdom comes from all sides. And the point is, a foolish person doesn't recognize true wisdom because they're not looking for wisdom. They're looking for the right brand the right marketing. They're looking for how high your vertical is or how fast you can throw a baseball or whatever it might be, how many likes you had on your post. And they say, oh, that's wisdom right there. Whoever can write the, the clickbaitiest headline, that must be true wisdom. And they don't recognize real wisdom. The, the foolish man is ignorant. He doesn't know true wisdom. He's also incompetent. In verses 8 through 10, uh, and, and through that little section, Solomon gives a, a lot of, a whole list of incompetencies. And I'm not going to read all those verses. You can look at them uh, as I talk through it. But he's, he's like, okay, look, a foolish man digs a pit and then falls into the pit. <laughs> he quarries stone and then drops a stone on his foot, right? He splits logs with a dull axe, which not only requires way more work, but also puts himself and those around him at greater risk. He wastes money on parties while his roof is caving in. See down in verse 18. 
Through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. It's basically like he's saying, look, the, the, the roof has fallen in, the faucets are leaking, the house is crumbling, but the beer's cold, and the brats are hot, so come on in, and let's have a party. He's wasting his money throwing a party instead of taking care of his house. He's incompetent. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's ignorant, he's incompetent, and the foolish man is impatient. See chapter 10, verse 11. If the serpent bites before it is charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer. See, the fool is impatient. He wants to touch the serpent, but you have to wait until the charmer has charmed all the serpent, and then when it's kind of hypnotized, then you can reach out and touch it. He's like, no, I want to touch the serpent, and I want to touch it now. I want it, give it to me right now. And so he reaches out and he gets bitten. Why? He's a fool. He's impatient. He doesn't know what he's doing. And Solomon says, look, a society that is impatient is like a society that never progressed emotionally beyond preschool. Give me what I want and give it to me now. Right? We get frustrated because because I send somebody a text message and it travels uh, tens of thousands of miles into space and then travels tens of thousands of miles back down to earth and it takes more than 2.5 seconds. Whoa, oh, oh, terrible. I'll get the next phone and it's going to get 2.4 seconds. Oh, man, that's, that's amazing, right? We're, we're impatient as a society. I read this really great quote uh, from a devotional I've been reading um, about impatience. It says this, It is easy to be constantly dissatisfied with the present. Most of us are stuck in the habit of looking to the next best thing, which we believe will finally secure what we most desire. In our impatience, we dislike and disregard the present while looking for a better tomorrow. Yet living this way is to turn our back on life itself. As Christians, we are called to live life fully in the present moment, even when the present consists of toil, grief, or pain. Being ignorant, being incompetent, being impatient, a foolish man doesn't know what he's doing. And a society without wisdom is also an impatient and incompetent society that doesn't know what to do next. People who lack wisdom are never satisfied. And although we have more entertainment than ever before in history, we are more bored than ever before in history. We have all the information in the world in our pockets, yet we don't know what to do with our lives. But Jesus does, and he gives us that purpose in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And in Matthew 28, Jesus said, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, the foolish man doesn't know what he's doing, but in Christ we find our purpose. We understand what we're supposed to do in life. We are supposed to be witnesses for Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. It's so clear and it's so simple. That's what we're supposed to do. Jesus gives us a purpose in life. A society without wisdom has no idea what to do, but in Christ we find the purpose and meaning of life. To be witnesses for Jesus who make disciples of Jesus. Third thing that Solomon uses back in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10, 
as he compares a society without wisdom to a foolish man, he says the foolish man doesn't know where he's going. He doesn't know who he is, he doesn't know what he's doing, and he doesn't know where he's going. A society without wisdom wanders aimlessly through life without direction because it doesn't know the way. Look at Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense. And he says to everyone that he is a fool. And then down in verse 15, the the toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. I thought the best way to explain this would be with a picture, and I'm not a great artist, but um, bear with me a little bit. Okay, so on the right is a city, and on the left, those are cactuses or cacti. I don't know the right word. Um, Yeah, and so, and then there's a mountain range in the middle, right? And there's a path, and there's one path that goes to the city, and there's one path that goes to the desert. And the wise person's heart inclines him on the path to the city, but the fool's foolish man's heart inclines him on the path to the desert and he doesn't even realize he's on the wrong path so he's walking along hey you go your way I'll see you in the city in a couple of hours and he gets to the desert and he's wandering around and he's tired and he's thirsty and he's hungry and he doesn't know what he's doing and he's lost because he doesn't know the way to the city he has no idea where he's going because he's a fool a society that lacks wisdom is a society that doesn't know where it's going and doesn't even realize it's on the wrong path Not all paths lead to the top of the same mountain. We're on different mountains. This path leads to the mountain of life. This path leads to the mountain of death, right? And we think, hey, you go your way. You go, you do you, whatever. Yeah, and I'll I'll meet you on the other side. And, And one group is wandering around lost in the desert because they don't know where they're headed in life. People who lack wisdom lack direction in life. And they end up chasing a happiness that they never quite reach. We have all the information in the world on our phones and yet we don't know how to truly be happy. It's unsolved mystery. But Jesus shows us the way. John chapter 14, verse five, the apostle Thomas said to Jesus, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. All the information in the world in our pockets and we don't know how to be happy, but Jesus shows us the way to a truly meaningful life. In Christ, we understand that Jesus is the way. And a meaningful life is a life lived in a loving relationship with God the Father. Jesus isn't just our guide on the path. He actually is the way into a loving relationship with God the Father. And that is the good life. That is the meaning of life. Solomon makes his point in Ecclesiastes 9 and 10 that a society without wisdom is like a foolish man who doesn't know who he is who doesn't know what he's doing and doesn't know where he's going. Now, it would be easy to get angry and judgmental as we're looking at this passage, and I felt this this week. I was getting angry. 
It'd be easy to get angry and judgmental and forget all about our own sins and our own folly and our own shortcomings and start pointing our fingers at everyone else and screaming, you fools, you're ruining the world. You're ruining our society. You have no idea. You're incompetent. You're impatient. You're ignorant. You can't recognize real wisdom. You're the problem. It'd be easy to climb up on our soapbox and start ranting and railing against the folly that we see all around us. And I was starting to get angry this week as I was studying this passage. And then God challenged me with a question. Is that how I responded? So I started thinking. There are times and references in the New Testament to when Jesus looks out over the city of Jerusalem and he weeps for them. When he looks at the nation of Israel and he weeps over them. And, and so I thought, well, uh, is, that, is that the right way to respond? And I started Google searching and I typed in this little phrase, uh, Jesus saw the crowds. And I was looking for where that was and it, it was in Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35, it says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said this to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. It would be easy to start uh, getting angry and judgmental and pointing our fingers at everybody else, or we could respond like Christ and have compassion on them. In fact, in in light of Matthew 9, uh, we might rephrase the big idea. A society without wisdom is like a flock of sheep without a shepherd. They're not terrible, awful, horrible people that should be punished and sentenced to death and get away away from me. I don't even want to be friends with you. No, they're like sheep wandering around in the wilderness without a shepherd to guide them, without a shepherd to love them and care for them. Rather than anger, we should feel compassion for them. See, the reality is we don't need more information. We don't need more knowledge. We don't need more training. We don't even need more education. What we need is wisdom and truth. Who we need is Jesus. We need Jesus to shepherd us, and then we need to go into the fields that are ripe for harvest and love people into the kingdom of God. No one ever repented of their sin and came to Christ because they were told how stupid they are for their dumb beliefs. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. They are sheep, wandering, lost, without a shepherd, and some of them don't even realize the danger that they're in. And it's our job to look at them with compassion and to go out into the fields that are ripe for harvest and love them into the kingdom of God. I started this message with a quote from Ian Provan, the New Testament scholar, and I want to conclude it with the same uh, scholar. In his commentary on Ecclesiastes, he said, we all need wisdom from above and from outside us and from before us if we are going to know what life is all about. We all need to know truth, but we will not find this truth by watching TV chat shows, 
We will not find it by listening to powerful politicians, to famous actors and performers, to polished prosperity preachers, or to eloquent college professors, or to professional athletes. We will find it only in God's revelation in Jesus Christ, who is the touchstone of all reality and the focus of all wisdom. It is in, God, it is in Jesus and in the great story of human history woven around him that we will find the solid rock on which to stand and against which to measure all the truth claims that people make about the world. It is the house built on this ancient truth that will still be found standing at the end of time. We need Jesus and we need to love people into his kingdom. So as we prepare for communion, I'm gonna invite the worship team up. Um, as we prepare for communion, I want us to take just a few moments and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal the answers to these two questions in our hearts. First of all, what are you building your house on? It is the house built on the ancient truth, the solid rock of Christ that will still be found standing at the end of time. So what is the foundation of your life? Is it the latest headline? Is it the most sensational Instagram post? Is it the newest TikTok video? Is it what feels right or seems right in the moment? Is it what everybody under 30 or what everybody over 40 is saying? Is it what you see in your favorite news outlet? Is that what you're building your life on? Or are you building your life on the foundation and the rock that is Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever? What are you building your life on? And secondly, who are you inviting into it? There are lots of sheep wandering around without a shepherd. And Jesus didn't say, pray that God will give us a harvest. The harvest is already there. He said, pray that God will send laborers into the fields to reap the harvest. What are you building your house on and who are you bringing into it so that you can love them and share the wisdom and love of Christ with them? Those are the questions. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your wisdom. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for taking me, a sinner, and transforming me into an heir of the kingdom through the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for giving us a purpose to be your witnesses and to make disciples. And thank you for being the way, the truth, and the life. I pray that as we, uh, as we reflect for a few moments before communion, that you would answer those questions in our hearts. Speak through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.